Good morning. I'm Ewan Kerr sitting in for Angela Davis and you're listening to NPR News. I'm so glad you could join us today. How does a world-class orchestra conductor end up co-owner of a brewery? It all started during the COVID-19 pandemic when orchestras abruptly cancelled live performances and Bill Edens found himself out of work with time on his hands. So he and a friend turned their beer-making hobby into Metronome Brewery in downtown St. Paul. Their goal? To raise money to pay for music instruments and education for Twin Cities children and teenagers. The brewery's music venue seats only 50 people, but Bill has been able to pull in some big names. Jazz trumpet legend Wynton Marsalis played an impromptu gig at Metronome last fall. The taproom celebrates its first anniversary of its grand opening this coming June. That's next month. Wow. Okay. So this seemed like a great time to catch up with Bill to talk about music and beer and Metronome's mission. Also want to hear from you too. How did you learn to appreciate and make music? Was it through school or through private lessons? What difference did learning to sing or play an instrument make in your life, especially if you didn't go on to perform professionally? The phone lines are open. Call us at 651 227 6000 or 800 242 2828. But let me bring in my guest, and we can answer some of these questions, William Eddins, Bill to his friends, is music director emeritus of the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra in Alberta, Canada. He was associate conductor of the Minnesota Orchestra in the 90s. He's been a guest conductor for orchestras around the world. He's also a pianist. He's played with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. This goes on and on, Bill. This is amazing. And for a number of years, he was the pianist and artistic director of the informal and very entertaining Prospect Park players here in the Twin Cities. Good morning, Bill. Good Thank morning, you. Ewan. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's a pleasure. Let's talk about that brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how did it get started? What was the idea? And how, how, how easy was it to get off the ground? <laughs> wow, how many hours do we have? <laughs> one. <laughs> so, we have one. I'm we just taking away. One. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in March of 2020, I was looking forward to the most exciting 18 months of my life, maybe. All sorts of things were happening. And then, boom, everything just went poof and disappeared. And I ended up door dashing uh, because I was bored, wanted the money, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, the George Floyd incident hit. And these were my third set of riots. I did uh, Miami 89 and LA 92 and um, found myself in another set. And... It was about a month later. I was, I was, <laughs> if you must know, I was in the shower. I'm looking out the out the window. It's a beautiful day, and half of my brain is sitting there going, "I should be out on my patio brewing beer because I'm a home brewer." And as soon as the pandemic hit, it was hilarious. All the home brewing stores got cleaned out. Everyone said, "Screw it, <laughs> we're all dying." I'm going to brew beer. So <laughs> we were all thinking that, and the other half of my brain was, "Well, why did I just?" lived through my third set of riots. It seems like we were, were were fighting the same things in society that we were fighting 30-odd years ago. Wait, wait, just let me put I – mean, tell me about that because, I mean, it was – for many people here, it was their first right. set of riots. Right. And it was crushing. Yeah. I, I was almost uh, laissez-faire about it. I, you know, I went through LA-92, man. I mean, you know, gunfire and this and that and the other. And um, – 
my mom was a sociologist. My dad was a social philosopher. So I, I always look at things from a societal point of view. It's just, it's just kind of my nature. I grew up with that kind of stuff around the, you know, the dining room table. And for me, it wasn't so much crushing as it was just depressing because having gone through that before and hoping that there, there would be some kind of change coming out of those scenarios and then finding ourselves in this situation where, well, not much has changed. Mm -hmm. And that just first, first it was depressing, but then it just made me mad. And I, I was, Back, back to the shower. I was, I was sitting in the shower. Half of my brain's going brew beer. The other half is just getting madder about all of this. And you know, being a musician, I think the best way to improve society is through music education. Not that I'm biased. No, no, you know? not of course. I, I can see how everyone would jump to that. Oh, okay, of, yeah. of course. I mean, it's natural. It's only natural. No. Uh, but I mean, we really believe it because music teaches you so many things. It teaches you how to deal with other people. It teaches you about yourself, uh, about your brain, about your body, and you know all these different things. And I'm thinking, you know, why? Why is it? Why is it arts education is always the first thing that seems to go when there's a three penny deficit? You know, well, let's just cancel the arts. No one needs us. And so I was there. I was getting mad. I was getting mad. I was getting mad. And the, you were still in the shower. I room. was still in the shower, <laughs> just getting mad, thinking about these two things. And they just went click. And I, I thought, hmm, I think I have an idea. I got out of the shower and I. I sent my buddy Matt a uh, an email. He was my brew buddy. We'd been brewing for you know, a few years by that time. I said, you know, I've got this idea. Let's start a brewery and we'll use our funds for music education. And, you know, he sat on that email for nine days and it drove me <laughs> Of <nuts>. course, of <laughs> course. It drove me well, insane. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, but it's a kind of a crazy idea. It is totally a crazy idea. And that's what had me worried. And, you know, I was at one point I thought maybe I should drive by his home to see if he's put a for sale sign out there to try and get as far away from this lunatic as possible. <laughs> you know, um, but he came back after nine days and said, yeah, I think this, this might work. And here we are with a beautiful facility in Lower Town. And I, I, don't, I don't know. People, people have come out of the woodwork to help us and to make this dream a reality. Because there are a lot of people out there who, who really do believe in the power of music and the, 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 the joy and, and beauty of music education. But but tell me, I mean, the practicalities. Yeah, okay. Let, oh. let let's let's uh, let's yeah, let's do a brew pub. I mean, I I remember when I was in college, people brewing beer in big yellow trash cans yep. under, <laughs> in their dorm room, which big mistake. Mm, but <laughs> we're a little more sophisticated okay. now. <laughs> but, but but a lot of and you know, opening a, a place where you're bringing the public in to eat and drink is you know. There's a lot of regulations. Oh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I mean, it, it did. There's a ton of work involved. Uh, we're very lucky in that we've, we found a facility that was essentially turnkey. Previous brewery had gone under due to, due to COVID and being on a different license. And so that helped tremendously because otherwise we would have really had to raise probably a couple million dollars as opposed to the three fifty four hundred thousand dollars that we did raise, but oh, only uh, four hundred. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course. But um, you know, brewing equipment is expensive. You got these big 
stainless steel containers. But and, they're beautiful. And they're, they're, it's gorgeous. <laughs> Have you seen my my uh, my promo photos? No. Oh, I, I had a promo photo shoot in, a, in uh, the end of August, and we did it all at the brewery. And it's just great. There's one shot of me in, uh, in the brew uh, the brew kettle, and I'm coming out of the brew kettle with, with a copy of Debussy's La Mer in, in my left hand and my baton in the right. It's, it's a great shot. I really love it. Wait, well, well, so you've got it going. Here we are, almost a year into the the first, uh, for, almost into the end of the first year. How does it work? What does it look like? What are you doing? Well, the first thing a lot of people ask is, uh, so you know, you're a nonprofit, right? And that's not right. Uh, the thing about Metronome, how we're trying to turn things upside down, is that we are a for-profit organization. And the goal is for us to become the size of a regional brewery. And at that point, we think that we would be able to funnel a good chunk of our proceeds into music education here in the Twin Cities metro. Uh, so th- that's the first thing that that kind of turns things upside down. Um we have this lovely facility. We have a tap room, and we, of course, we have the cellar. But the thing that I think distinguishes us is that we have this little room that we call Fingal's Cave, uh, named after, of course, the the famous cave off the the Hebrid in the Hebrides in Scotland. I've, I've uh, been there. You've been. See, I haven't been there. Oh. I want to go so badly. I, if if you want, I have a rock on my desk. Do you really? From from there, I thought I, I shouldn't do this, but. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. No, it's an astonishing place. But anyway, but tell me about, yeah. tell me about, the, tell me about the one here. But we digress. Yeah. Uh, so, so Fingal's Cave, and it, um, it's this, it's this lovely little room downstairs in the basement. We sell all of fifty tickets uh, to our concerts, and I'm the booking agent. And I, you know, I didn't really expect at this time of my life to be running a venue, really, and being. You know, responsible for the things that we put in there, but that's all on me. And you know what? It's super fun because I know this may come as a shock to you. I think I have pretty yeah. good taste in music. <laughs> but, you're, yeah, you're probably not. Yeah, okay. Again, not that I'm biased at all. But the thing is, I also have a pretty wide taste in music. And I'm also extremely egalitarian. We've put in... Uh, acts in Fingal's Cave that it, just not my cup of tea, not really what I'm interested in. But that's it. But it's not about me. It's about the fact that we're trying to bring, we're trying to create this kind of mini society of people who just believe in music and believe in our mission of funding music education for underprivileged youth. And so, you know, I I don't. It's it's not about whether I like the music. It's whether other people will enjoy the experience. And so I will book all sorts of stuff. I've just booked a klezmer band. I mean, we've got classical music, jazz, rock, world, funk, country, you know, Appalachian. I don't really care. The only parameter I have is, are you any good? And the funny thing is, when you're a professional musician, you can tell. Even if you don't know the idiom, you can tell if someone's any good or not. Uh, you know, give, give me give me 30 seconds of listening to you. I'll, I'll tell you if you're any good. I, I will. <laughs> not that I'm biased. Not that you're biased. <laughs> I'm a conductor. But <laughs> Wait, but, but let me ask you a question. I mean, there, there's been uh, – maybe it is just 
my age, a lot of my friends are saying, you know, I'm I'm still not ready to go out. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sit in a crowd. Or, and, or they get to the crowd and they feel, oh. But, yeah. I mean, how, how are the crowds? Are they coming out? Yeah, the crowds have been pretty good. Uh, we have a bunch of sold-out shows coming up, but we you know, we still we still have tickets to some of our upcoming shows. Please check our website. <laughs> da, 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 da. I mean, yeah. uh, but it's it's the atmosphere in the venue. I think that really draws people in, and they're 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 willing to come out for for something like this. And you know, we we try and make things as as easy and as 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 accessible as possible for everybody. And believe me, I I, I get the uh, the hesitancy. I mean, we Lord, we just lived through a global pandemic. How weird is that? You know, no, no one, well, very few people alive have lived through the, well, no one alive has lived through the <laughs> last big one, you know. And it was it was weird. I mean, especially for those that first year, it was just strange. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I've been a musician since I was five years old, you know, and, and everything that I had just completely disappeared. And the other things that I was doing, I'm a Thai yoga massage practitioner. Couldn't do that. I was I was uh, working as a line judge, a tennis judge for the USTA. Couldn't do that, you know. And so I was door dashing and I was f- flying around Minneapolis in a beat up 09 Civic, manual Civic with the back bumper half falling off. You know, they called me the happy dasher because <laughs> you know what? I, you know what I discovered when you bring people food, they are genuinely delighted to see you yes <laughs> and i love yes. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the same as music in many ways which may be why musicians are so captivated by food i don't know no. <laughs> but we are <laughs> I, I i meet very few people who are not captivated well, by food I, that's but, good. but there are some i I, yeah. I should let, let just in case people have just tuned in we are talking today with Bill Edens, he's the music director emeritus of the Edmonton Symphony in Canada, frequent guest conductor all around the world. He's also a, a, a pianist, and he is the oh, I just come across the the full title here: co-owner and chief design officer at the new Metronome Brewery in downtown St. Paul. Wow, that's huda huda huda. I have no idea what that means, but we're going with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, but let, let's talk. I mean, talk a little about music. Um, how did you become a musician? Ugh. I get to tell this story, uh, and this this <laughs> this is a this is a great story. Okay. Um, in 1970, I believe, my parents bought a piano at a garage sale, and it's a unique instrument. It's a Wurlitzer, seven foot, made out of mahogany, cast iron, steel. The bloody thing weighs half a ton. It's got to. Uh, but it has a raised and exposed harp. So the, the the area where the strings are is up at the same eye level as the sides of the piano. So there there is no lid for the piano. Mm-hmm. There's also no fall board, which is the, the board that goes over the keys. Uh, and it's this, it's this beautiful kind of art deco instrument. And they bought it at a garage sale in Buffalo. And that's the instrument that I learned on. And we kept that instrument. And for... For years and years and years, we thought it was the only one of its type left in the world. So we're very proud of it. Uh, and you, you don't have to remember how much they paid. I think it was it was something like six hundred bucks. Wow, eight hundred bucks. You know, and back in the day, that was real money. But, mm-hmm. So fast forward, uh, my parents pass, and 
Well, no, no, it was it was shortly before my parents passed. Uh, I was taking a tour of the Schubert Club Museum with my wife, who's a professional clarinetist, and we were playing a gig over there. And they said, "Want to see the piano museum?" And you know, I'm a, I'm a nerd, of course I do. And, and this is one of the great. Many people don't know this exists. Oh, it's museum. beautiful. It's a this is the great, landmark center. Yeah, great collection of old keyboard instruments, just and famous keyboard instruments. It's really, really beautiful. I turned the corner and there's my piano, and I went. <gasps> but 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 we have the only one. And they went. <gasps> but we have the only one. But <gasps> and they thought they had the only one left in the world. We thought the same thing, and it obviously that wasn't the case. Here's the best thing. As I said, I kept that instrument, and uh, it's now in the basement of Metronome, waiting to be completely restored. Nice. And it's going to be the house piano for Metronome down in Fingal's Cave, and the only two that we know of, of this instrument, will literally be within a mile of each other. But let's get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this thing sitting in what your your living room or yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, music room, music room, music room. Day. Okay, yeah. and I mean, I know there are, there are many people out there who are thinking, remembering their music lessons, and thinking this is hor- those those were horrible. This the worst <laughs> moments of my life. I mean, I enjoyed the first few, but. Eh, yeah. How did it go for you? Evidently, I was a fish to water. Ah, I mean that—that's the the way it was. My dad was an amateur singer and and played some keyboards. My mom, bless her soul, can carry a tune in a wheelbarrow. Uh, but evidently, I was I was all in from from moment one and um, started studying with a wonderful lady named uh, Jean Hamlin, whose granddaughter is now the third horn player in the Milwaukee Symphony and a good friend of mine. Uh, and then a few years later, studied with uh, the American composer pianist Ivar Mikashov, uh, who was teaching at the university, uh, State University of New York at Buffalo. And once I graduated from high school, I went off to the Eastman School of Music and spent a total of six years there, uh, working uh, both piano and conducting. And... Did you always see yourself as a playing classical music, or yes? It- yes. Uh, uh, simply put, um, I was a classical nerd. I'm gonna, you know, pull up my pants a little bit here. But back in the day, I was a classical nerd, and it was a wonderful revelation actually getting to college and hearing Beatles, Jethro Tull, and all all this and that and the other. And I went, oh, you know, because. Really, the classical part of my brain immediately went into let's analyze this. Let's see how this all works. It's not just, it's not just, they're not just good songs for me. You know, it's not, it's actually well crafted music. And so I, I could approach all that from, from that direction. And I, and I had a huge love for jazz because my parents had a, a huge jazz collection. The problem was I went to Eastman and Eastman has one of the great jazz programs in the world. And, I got there, I remember there was this kid, this tall black kid, uh, Byron Stripling, a trumpet player in my class. And as a freshman, he made the first jazz band at Eastman, which never, never, never happens. And I remember him taking a ride on something. It was it was an Ellington tune or something. And, and I was just sitting there going, hmm, I'm going to go practice some Mozart now. <laughs> because yeah, at, at even at that point, I knew they were so 
so far beyond where I could ever get in jazz. I, I just decided I'm going to enjoy what they do. I'm going to love what they do. I'm going to do what it is that I do and keep doing it. And the weird thing is, is now, you know, in my life, I work regularly with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and my buddy Wynton Marsalis. And I think it's because I have this kind of dual background that we have gotten along. He does as well, you know, uh, we've gotten along so well and I'm, I'm able to work with them in that capacity is, oh, it's one of the great thrills in my, in my life. It really is. We have Leslie from Stillwater on the line. Uh, and uh, we're, we're asking people to tell us about why music is important to them and about music education. Uh, good morning, Leslie. What, what's, what are your thoughts? Well, um, I think most of us grew up with parents maybe playing the radio or records at home or watching things. I'm old, so we watched Ed Sullivan's show, you know, and there were groups and solo performers. You just got a double thumbs up from Bill here. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. But in school, being in band, orchestra, or choir, I think that's the only teams that some of us get to be involved in. I think it's a great place for shy kids to fit in. And then there are outside of school trips and performances, which are fun. And then there's scholarships, you know, potential scholarships to go on into college, too. So I just think the school music programs are fun, safe places to be with other kids. And that, so they thank are you, indeed. Bill. Thank you, thank you. It, it would be impossible for me to disagree with you on that. It, it, I think it's one of the great tragedies of the American society that we do not have well-funded music programs in our schools. It, music teaches us so much how to deal with each other, how to deal with, with, with ourselves, and, and just how, how to be together as a group. Why don't we do this as a society? I, I, I don't understand, and I never will understand. It, it is strange. I mean, maybe it's just an easy target sometimes yeah. for, for when, I mean, budget problems are real, yeah. and, but it's an easy thing to... Well, one of the other problems is, is that in many ways you can't see an immediate impact from what the arts give you. You know, you put your kids in in sports. And I'm not ragging on sports because my kids have been in sports. I'm I'm a sports guy, but you know, okay, you won 31 to 12. All right, so you win. What do you win when you play an instrument? Well, that really comes later in life, and so it's hard to quantify, and it's also a very long term investment. You want people to do better. Now, invest in music education. The payoff is going to be 20 years from now. It's going to be a huge payoff, though. So you mentioned Winston Marsalis, mm. and you, you provided kind of a, a little surprise for uh, some patrons yeah. at Metronome. Tell me about that. So I knew Winton was going to be in town because I was hired to conduct for the opening of the Minnesota Orchestra that, uh, last year in September mm -hmm. uh, with them and the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. And so in, in March, I was with uh, them in Detroit with the symphony. I said, you know, Winton, can you come play my, my bar? And he said, yeah, sure, 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 sure. You know, so every, every month or so, I'd text him, so Winton, are we on? And, you know, I heard nothing. So Winton, are we on? <laughs> this, this went on till about... Eight days before they were coming into town, and 
I said, you know, I, I just kind of need to know. And he just texted back, I am doing it. <laughs> okay. So what is this it that you're doing? <laughs> was what I was thinking. So regardless, we managed to pull it together. And on the Sunday after the, the, the Saturday night uh, show, we had him play downstairs in Fingles. And it was just for... We initially had kind of set it up as a, a thank you for the for those people who are in the know with Metronome who had really been you know supporters and such like that. And uh, around three thirty that afternoon, I just posted a little thing on Facebook. <laughs> you know, oh, the social media! Yeah. Nobody, Win- nobody reads social no, media. No one reads it. <laughs> Winton Marsalis, Fingles Cave, six thirty p.m. And about five minutes later, the phone just blew up <laughs> people were and, and you've only got 50 seats we've in there. got we've got 50 seats but we we rigged it so that the audio and the video would go upstairs into our tap room and one of the coolest things about that night was at one point i did go upstairs and our tap room was packed and everyone was just staring at the tvs and just listening to what was going on underneath their feet, and it was so. Uh, so what, how, what did you do? What did he perform? This was the great thing because you know it was eight days. I finally got kind of a confirmation from him eight days before. By that time, I didn't really have an opportunity to wrestle up a bunch of pros, so I ha- I had a couple young guns in my pocket. I had I had this kid who was a nineteen year old bass player, a twenty year old drummer, and I said, okay. Guys, you're playing for Winton. You need a pianist. And they went, Put this into context. I mean, let, let's use a sports metaphor. What, what, what is that kind of like, uh, you know, you're, I don't know, you're going to be on a, a team with LeBron or something. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're some guy who scraps out, you know, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to maybe get a scholarship to a, to a, a junior college and hi you're now in the nba championships and lebron is your power forward uh because okay winton marsalis is the most famous jazzer on the face of the planet right and his this guy has a legacy i mean that's that goes back four plus decades and here you are you're just some young kid and uh, yeah and let me tell you something. It was super, super fun. The, the, one of the best parts of the day was actually the rehearsal that they had because Winton showed up and he just shakes hands. And he's an affable guy. And he's talking and he reaches over, he picks up his horn and he just starts playing. And they all went, no, what tune is that? And they figured it out and they started coming. He was he was testing them. you know. He was, And the next hour was just fabulous because – Winton was trying to figure out who these guys were and what tunes they knew and how to construct, you know, an hour and a half set or whatever. And it was just me and the sound guy watching this go on. And it was an absolute masterclass. And that was, for, for me, that's in, in many ways the, the most interesting part of any any musical experience it's not the performance so much it is the rehearsing you're working, the, the, it, out. You're working it out that's that's where i think the really interesting stuff comes in in i mean i i here here's the radio guy question did anyone press record anywhere <laughs> for that 
Uh, maybe we maybe. don't want to ask. We don't want to ask. Okay, right. Fair. <laughs> Ma- maybe. Uh, yeah. Never. Okay, yeah. Right. Moving on. Moving so, on. <laughs> how about them twins? Yeah. Huh? Well, but I mean, did you talk? I mean, what what was his reaction? What was Wynton Marcellus's reaction to what happened? He loved it. He he was skeptical at first. It's like you know, oh, man, man, you you put me with these young kids. They're not gonna know anything. I mean, that Nolan's accent that he that he's got going on. But he. Uh, uh, we texted a couple times. He had a wonderful, wonderful experience. And let me tell you something. I mean, people were in, were in tears that night. It was such a joyous evening. It was one of the great nights of my life. It really was. Wonderful. We have a lot of people on the line here uh, who have some music stories. And I am, let's see, uh, Sammy is calling in from uh, St. Paul. Good morning, Sammy. Good morning. T- tell us about your experience. Yeah, um, you were talking about how people get introduced to music, and I, for me it was in preschool, and I think that's really important at such a young age. We had a music lady who came into our preschool, and we got to sing and play with little plastic instruments and kazoos and such, and um, it, I remember it so vividly, and our preschool music lady actually talked to my family and was like, you should really put this girl in music. And so they took opportunities to try to do that. Um, and now I stayed with music all throughout my middle school, high school, went to college for it. And I get to be a music therapist and work with little kids now. And it's really wonderful. Music therapy is really, really important. It's so great because we know so many things about uh, the, the positive impacts that music has on the brain and just how it develops, um, how it can heal, um, all those all those things. So music therapy has actually taken off as a, uh, as a profession in the last 20 years, and I'm all for it. We, we also have a call from Brandy in Hastings, who sounds like she's, uh, she's deep in the fray, as it were. Uh, good morning, Brandy. Tell us about your experience. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Uh, yes, I shared with the screener. I'm wife of band director and mom of some uh, young musicians. And um, I just wanted to, yeah, sing the praises of, of what your guest is trying to do um, and work towards raising funds for young uh, instrumental musicians. Because, um, yeah, my husband, he's taught, well, now at all levels of the K through 12 uh, music spectrum, but really his forte was with and has been with beginning band students. And uh, the one thing that we always uh, both talked about several times was, you know, those kids who who drop because maybe the 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 affordability is not there to keep on renting the instrument, or um, uh, like your guest said earlier, the the payoff it takes a while and and that and. And and so and cost becomes the biggest hindrance because a mom or a dad will say, well, you know, they're not exceeding in the way that I thought they would. And, and now they're bored or they're or they're struggling. So and it's one more expense. So why not, you know, give up? And I and I always say stick with it, stick with it all the way through high school, um, because you can be a musician for the rest of your life. You don't have to be professional. 
but you can certainly be a musician for the rest of your life. I, I have to admit, I had lessons in five different instruments, and I can't play any of them, and it's one of the deep regrets in my life. I'm pretty good at listening, but I'm not. <laughs> yep. thank, thank you. Thank you for calling, Brandy. And, and, he, and here's the thing. Uh, I advocate for music education not only for people who want to play instruments, but also for people who want to listen to music. Because as much fun as it is to play music, it's just that much more fun when you get to play music for people. And so we as professional musicians, we desperately need people to show up and be willing to hear our music. It, it makes what it is that we do worthwhile for us. And this, I mean, here we go, kind of... Uh, uh, playing the trumpet here for the local community. This was, is was a, that one of the instruments? Get, get, that, that, no, thank no, goodness, okay. no. <laughs> Remember, one of the options open to me, which I did not choose, was the bagpipes. Ooh, which is, oh, dear. So <laughs> <laughs> we had to make enemies very quickly. Mm. Um, this is a great music town. Mm. I mean, there is there is more music going on here of so many different kinds that you can shake a stick at. Yeah. I mean, it's extraordinary. Yeah, that, that's it's one of the great things about the Twin Cities is that there really is a ton of music going on. And so when Matt and I uh, started to float the idea of Metronome, we found a real outpouring of people who, as I said, you know, wanted to help us and wanted to get this thing off the ground because there are a lot of people here who just really appreciate what music does for them and for society. And uh, it's just a great tradition here. It's one of the reasons why I continue to live here. I have to ask you, you you've been a professional now for probably more decades than you care to remember. Yeah. So we won't, we won't dig too deep into that. But I'm curious. I mean, it is a an, uh, an overwhelmingly white world. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, there's a oh, classical music. Classical music, yeah. yeah, in general. For you, what what was it like as a black man entering this profession and then what changes have you seen? Yeah, you know, uh, and people are always surprised when I say this. It, it, it never seemed like an issue for me. Uh, and I think this, again, has something to do with music, is that musicians want to play with musicians. And in general, I mean, there are always exceptions to this rule, but in general, we really don't care whether you're Male, female, black, white, Asian, LGBT, you know, we, we are you a good musician? Because if you're not a good musician, I don't want to deal with you. I really don't want to be on stage with you and you're a pain in the tuchus, as we, we you know, we might say in the high Yiddish. Uh, but for me, it, it was never really a problem. On the board level, I think a couple times it may have been a problem. Uh, because those those people the, are, the people are sometimes making the hiring decisions or the and the budget decisions. Yeah, because I I don't they, I know they want to support music, but th that's more of a societal problem I think in general. In 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 that there are the people who would be in those positions may not have the experience with people who aren't exactly like themselves, uh, and. The the way things have changed, though, now is very interesting because we're getting a lot more repertoire that has been written by people who are not of the established canon of, you know, how you should look as a composer. And I find that very interesting. Uh, my my only concern is, you know, some, sometimes uh, there are some people who are who are promoted simply because of. 
and you, we, we've got to realize that, that hmm, that's, a, that's a slightly slippery slope simply because, you know, we, we, we're still in the business of, of quality. Mm-hmm. And, and and let's be honest with ourselves. I want look. I want to give as many people as as I possibly can an avenue to to promote what it is they have to say. Um, but you know, let, let's let's always remember it is our responsibility at some point to go. You know, that's not a good piece, <laughs> and so I'm I'm not sure I'm going to promote that. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, having worked with uh, classical audiences, they're very. They're quite open to sharing their opinions too, and they're 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 not shy. <laughs> well, yeah, some are some are shyer than others. You know, some of those just sit there on their hands, and there's no applause. Oh, that went over <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, note to self: don't program that next year. You know, <laughs> I uh, wanted to ask you about a little personal quest that I understand that you're on. There is a uh, a piece of music, and I think that we have an example of it uh, there in in the the studio. The I, I'm not even sure how to pronounce the name of this. Goyescas. Goyescas. I, I, I know what you're going to say. Gonna say okay. <laughs> so we, we 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 have some Goyescas. Let, let, can we just listen to a little bit here? And, okay. For the people who are not in the studio, we just lost Bill Adams yeah. there for a moment. He's he's floating around the ceiling in in delight. Now that w- was not uh, you playing. Oh, I wish. Um, <laughs> tell me about this piece and why it is so important that, to you. That's Alicia playing. There's no doubt about it. That's the great Alicia de la Rocha. Uh, for those of you who don't know, she was a fabulous Spanish pianist, all of four foot nine. A wonderful, just kind of, you know, kind of grandmotherish lady, very polite. And, and but God, could she play the piano? Oh, my God, could this woman play the piano? She would come through Buffalo every once in a while because uh, Michael Tilson Thomas was the music director there, and he would hire her. And I, I, I became a fan. I, I thought she was one of the great pianists ever. Uh, and, so so this, this is when you were... This is quite 70s. young. This so is you're young. this is seventies. I got to got to hear her play uh, several times, and then it might have actually been the very first CD I ever purchased. This would have been eighty one, maybe eighty or eighty one. And uh, I saw her name. I said, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm going to buy this, this piece by Granados called Goyescas. I have no idea." And I put it on, and my life changed. My life. Changed. So in because that moment, you're in wrong. that moment, I had never heard. First of all, I had never heard pianism like this, but I had never heard music like this, let alone written for the piano. It is so gloriously just. Uh, it's it's the most beautiful music I I know, and and I said right then and there, oh, one of these days I'm going to play this. And but I, you know, she was such the master of of that music, and I that I, I didn't feel right playing it 
uh, when she was still playing. I got to hear her play the set twice. And, and we, then, we should say this this piece is a, what about an hour long? It's an hour long. Seven of uh, six movements technically. There's a traditional encore that you play, uh, El Palale, and it is some of the hardest music written because it's it's multi-dimensional. You've you've got themes and and phrases going in all sorts of directions. Sometimes in the middle of the keyboard where you're playing stuff. Uh, on the outsides and you're alternating the theme between the two hands and it's just it is fiendishly difficult to keep in the brain and i discovered that um shortly after alicia passed because i remember that day uh, i was just it came up in the new york times you know I, i pulled up the new york times webpage and bam it was right there front page and i said well now i've got to do this because there are no, no one plays this whole set anymore, and I don't understand why, other than the fact that it's ridiculously really hard. hard, because it is so wonderful and so gratifying to play this. And uh, so this is my third run at them. I'm doing a series of recitals. Um, the first one is at the brewery on the 3rd of June. It's going to be a fundraiser for the Metronome Foundation, which is going to be our nonprofit arm. And then I do it again in Milwaukee the next weekend, and then... Uh, in Texas later on this year, also down in uh, Carleton College and a couple other places in in uh, Wisconsin. I'm hoping to just travel as far as I can to play this music. I'm going to record it in 2025 in a new hall that I'm, I've been part of the design team for up in Edmonton. And then I will probably retire from uh, from playing solo piano music because I think I'm done. That's a big statement. Yeah. But it's, you know, when you have something like that, I've been at, I've been captivated by Goyescas for a little more than four decades now. And I really feel that it is just, it's it's the one thing I can con- contribute when it comes to solo piano. I, mean, I don't claim I'm the greatest pianist on earth. I'm, I think I'm a pretty good one, but I mean, I mean, there's some people that are just, you know, I I see videos of usual wearing, and usually within twenty seconds, I I just turn it off. I'm just, I, I I just don't want to even I don't even want to witness that because it's so far beyond what I can possibly do. But you know, when you have a mission, you know, if you can get the mission done, do the mission. And I've got so many other things I want to do in life. It's uh, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad because I thought, oh, well, yeah. you're, you're not going to disappear. That's no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 a pianist first when it comes to music. I'm a pianist first, conductor next. But there there's so many things even within music, let alone outside of music, that I want to get accomplished. And the problem with you know working up these huge recitals is that you know this has taken six months out of my life. <laughs> and I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. L- let me. Uh, we have just got three minutes left. Um, I just wanted to ask you about that. Here, a very simple question: the state of classical music now. We've we've been people people in the the classical community have been worrying about it since the dawn of time. Yeah, the, <laughs> since before it was invented. <laughs> right. Um, but this, this, the, the world is changing. The financial imperatives are changing because orchestras uh, tend to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, interests are changing all the time, and they're changing faster. Mm-hmm. 
what do you see the state of classical music at the moment? How do you see it? You know, it's surprisingly good. I mean, there are there are people in this. I mentioned Yuja, uh, but uh, there there are there are people in this business who who just are just so off the map and what they're capable of doing. And a lot um, of them turn up here in town. A lot of them turn up here because this is a great music area, the Twin Cities, right? Um, it is it, it is a very interesting time in that, yes, tastes are changing and uh, the funding model is changing. However, there are always going to be people who are interested in being together and who are interested in hearing music together. And I think enough of them will, if we are open enough as musicians and as a profession, a classical music is open enough, if we are open enough to welcome those people, then enough of them will be there and I, th- I think we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But we'll be discussing it a lot. No oh, well, for <laughs> till to the end of time. <laughs> we like to fetch. <laughs> we are professional musicians. Thank you, <laughs> and wonderful people too. And wonderful people too. The the um, so just very briefly coming up in the next uh, few weeks, months at Metronome. What's going to be happening? All sorts of music. We're a featured venue for the Jazz Fest again, so that, that'll be super fun. I've got my recital on the 3rd, the fundraiser for the Metronome Foundation. We're big doing Pride uh, in the month of June. We have a big Pride burlesque show on the 1st. Uh, we're going to be at the St. Paul Pride on the 10th of June. We uh, Ourselves and um, our neighbor Gambit Brewing are going to be providing beer for that Pride event. We have Pride events all through June. Um, just just live music all the time. That's what we're about because it's about fostering that, you know, that atmosphere and that collection of people. So, you know, just come and check us out. So Metrono Brewery, the, the tagline, playing it forward one pint at a time, downtown St. Paul. I want to thank Bill Eddins for coming in today. He is the music director emeritus of the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra in Alberta, Canada, He was associate conductor with the Minnesota Orchestra in the 90s, and he's been a guest conductor with the orchestra and all over the world since. He's a pianist. Check out the recording. And he's the co-owner of the Metronome Brewery in downtown St. Paul, which is marking its year anniversary uh, on June 3rd. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for coming in today. My pleasure, Ewan. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.